Um, I want to welcome you again to Grace Church. We are going to continue our message series through the Gospel of John. And uh, this morning, the title of the message is, is called Freedom. And uh, before we dive into the message, just want to give you a little bit of a heads up. We're going to take a break, actually, from the Gospel of John series. We're going to pick it up next year in February. And we're going to be doing some different series for the next couple of months. But uh, the next series that we're starting is something that uh, we've been hearing around Grace Church from a few different folks. And it's this question. It's kind of this statement. It's, it's not a question. It's a statement. And that statement is, I've been having a hard time finding deep friendships at Grace Church. I've been having a hard time finding deep friendships at Grace Church. And we've ho- heard this from, from a, a few different people. And we said, why not just have a series called Friending? Okay? So we're going to start a, a brand new series next Sunday called Friending. And we're going to dive into friendships. What does it look like to have a godly friend? What does it look like to have godly friendships? What does the Bible have to say about it? And so we're going to talk about the foundation of friendship. We're going to talk about unfriending. Okay? What's a good way to unfriend? All right? I'm just going to leave it there, so hopefully you're intrigued a little bit. And then uh, we're also going to look at some friendships in the scriptures. We're going to look at David and Jonathan. And we're going to look at David and Nathan. Nathan was a friend who told the truth. He was the one who told Nathan, you're the man, if you remember the story. And so sometimes you need friends who are willing to speak truth into your life. We're going to look at Barnabas, who was an incredible encourager, an incredible friend. And so if you're sitting here this morning, if you're watching online this morning and you're like, man, I I am struggling with friendships. I I don't feel like I'm connecting with people on on a deeper level. I don't feel like I have close friends around me. This series is going to be for you and it's going to encourage you in that process of of friendship. So I want to invite you all to come next Sunday as we kick off that series and we might just uh, do some fun things as well to uh, um, honor that theme of friending. So um, hope you hope you join us next Sunday. Uh, we are in John chapter eight. John chapter eight. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. It's a it's a lengthy chapter, and we're going to just be looking at a few scriptures throughout this chapter. And so I'm giving you an overview. and And the reason I'm doing this is because I want you to get intrigued. I want you to get excited about what we talk about, and then you go on your own to John chapter eight and you read it for yourself. And, uh, man, I believe when you get into God's Word, um, incredible things happen. And so I'm trying to get you excited about the things of God and and about His Word. But uh, if you don't have a Bible, just want to encourage you after the service, go to the Welcome Center. We would gladly give you a Bible of your own. But we're going to be in John chapter 8. We have an exciting chapter this morning demonstrating how awesome our Lord is as He deals with religious leaders who were constantly trying to trap him, constantly trying to trick him. Religious leaders who were stuck in religion. Religious leaders who had a tendency to go back to rules and regulations instead of relationship with the Almighty God. They bring before Jesus, in the very first section of of John chapter 8, they bring a woman before Jesus, and if you can kind of picture the scene, I'm sure they threw her on the ground right at the feet of Jesus. They brought a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. They were trying to put Jesus in a no-win situation. If, if, if he didn't agree that she should be killed, he would be disagreeing with the law of Moses. The law of Moses says if you commit adultery, 
that you should be put to death. And so if he doesn't agree that this woman should be put to death, then he's disagreeing with the law of Moses. If he supported her death, then he wouldn't be showing um, the love of God that he claimed to show. So as far as the religious leaders were concerned, they had Jesus trapped. They had him in a situation that was kind of a no-win situation. Remember, Jesus, throughout the Gospel of John, the teachings of John, he has been, uh, he's been just making the religious leaders look like fools. The way he talked, because he is God, he, the religious leaders were trying to trick him all along, and they were always um, left baffled and confused. As far as the religious leaders were concerned, they had Jesus right where they wanted him. But they made a couple really big mistakes in this situation. A couple really big mistakes that they made. First of all, if she was caught in the very act of adultery, it means that there was a man somewhere in the vicinity, but they only brought the woman. And that showed that they were not serious about the solution to the problem. They weren't serious about this individual and helping her. All they were trying to do was try to make Jesus wrong and put him in a situation that was no win. The second problem was they didn't know who they were talking to. They were talking to the Son of God. They didn't know who they were about to have an encounter with, Jesus Christ. Two different times, Jesus takes his hand and he just has this woman thrown at his feet. They're accusing her of adultery. They're saying that she should be put to death. And Jesus kneels down and he begins to draw in the sand. And the scriptures actually don't tell us what he was writing in the sand. And there's been a lot of speculation. There's been a lot of different thoughts about what Jesus was writing. But two different times he writes in the sand and these religious leaders are standing face to face with the Son of God. And they're looking at a man who is the law of God. He is the law. The other time that God wrote with his finger, if you remember, was when he wrote the Ten Commandments. They brought up the law of Moses, but Jesus is showing them who wrote the law of Moses. I mean, if you could just imagine, you know, the people are, are talking to the author, and he is the one that wrote the law. He is the one that penned the scriptures. He is the one that inspired the scriptures, and they're trying to trick him with his own word, and he is the word. They're defeated before they even begin. Remember when we read John chapter 1, the very first chapter of, of the teachings of John, it said in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning, the Word already existed, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we saw in verse 14 of that same chapter, it says, The Word became flesh, and He lived among us. Jesus Christ is the Word. He is the Word that already existed. He is the Word that was with God. He is the Word that was God. He is the Word. He is God. And so they were face to face with the law of God. And if they were going to use that law to condemn this woman, that same law would be used to condemn them. What I'm trying to say this morning is if you're living in a glass house, you better not throw stones. Okay, because those stones will come right back at you. And the speculation of what Jesus was writing in the sand, some people say that he might have been writing some of their sins, some of the things that they had done wrong. 
And they thought it was a secret. Nobody knew. And he was writing it right there in the sand for all to know. And Jesus made it clear that if you're going to condemn this woman with the law, you too are going to be condemned with that same law. You know, it brings up a, a, a kind of a heartbreaking thing for me. I have a buddy. I, I've shared uh, uh, about this friend of mine. I grew up with him. I went to high school with him. And he is about as anti-God as you could possibly get. But just recently, he, he put up a post and he said, you know, uh, it's fascinating to me that um, when, when you need to rally Christians to condemn something or to protest something, they come out in mass numbers. But when you need Christians to serve and when you need Christians to actually kind of do their hand, you know, get their hands dirty and, and help in a situation, sometimes they're few and far to, to, to be found. And, of course, that's just coming from someone that is anti-God and it's like in one ear and out the other. But you know what? There was a little bit of truth to that. And I think there is a tendency for us, there's a tendency for us to, to always want to be about rules and always want to be about, um, you know, regulations instead of relationship. There, there, there's something in us that we, we're drawn back to that. If you don't want to be judged because of your sin, then you better be careful about judging others because of their sin. Let me say that one more time. If you don't want to be judged because of your sin, and let me just remind you, the Scriptures say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you don't want to be judged because of your sin, then you better be careful about judging others because of their sin. It says in John chapter 8 that one by one they drifted away because they didn't want to be under the condemnation that they themselves were putting this woman under. They were condemning this woman, but when they were faced with that same condemnation, they began to flee. In fact, there's another principle here. <clears throat> in this day, you could not judge a person for a sin that you yourself had committed. And so that tells us a lot about their lifestyle as well. And doesn't that happen in our day and age? It's like sometimes we, we live in this uh, uh, false reality that, man, nobody knows about my sin, and someone else could be struggling with the exact same sin, and we're quick to cast stones. We're quick to cast judgment. But the principle of this day was you couldn't judge someone for a sin that you yourself had committed. And so that tells us a lot about the lifestyle of those guys that threw this woman at the feet of Jesus. But the beauty of this story is what happens with the woman. Jesus comes to the, to the lady and I, I'm, I'm sure He helped her up off the ground. He comes to this lady and He asks her, where are your accusers? Remember, they were standing right there. They had stones in their hands ready to kill her. He says, where are your accusers? And she says, they're not here. They're gone. And Jesus says, I'm not going to accuse you either. I'm not going to condemn you. And then he says, go and sin no more. Now the reason you need to know what, what's so important about what Jesus said is because Jesus takes away her, condemna her condemnation prior or before telling her how to live her lifestyle or telling her to go and sin no more. And the point is, when you have been set free, it's a lot easier to obey. 
before freedom and you're trying to you're, you're trying to do the right things in your own strength and your own power before you've been set free it's impossible it's 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 impossible to to live right but after freedom after transformation after a relationship with Jesus Christ it's much easier to obey when you've been delivered it's a lot easier to submit to the power and the will of God and when Jesus removed the condemnation she now had the incentive to obey the Lord she now had the desire to obey the Lord I've, I've said this numerous times to us church Man, we want you to serve we want you to do the works of God not out of a have to or guilt or um, because it's a religious duty we want you to serve and do things out of a deep love for your Savior and for your Lord. And that only comes with freedom. This leads to a deeper discussion between Jesus and the religious leaders. So the religious leaders, they throw this woman at his feet. Jesus makes them look silly. They flee. And then as you continue reading on in the chapter, the religious leaders show up again. And they have this conversation about who Jesus really is. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Every time we try to uh, trick him, we try to uh, make him look like a fool, he makes us look like a fool. Every time uh, you know, Jesus is healing people, he has all the right words to say. It's almost like he knows everything. It's almost like he's God. What's up with this guy? And then in uh, verse 12 of John chapter 8, Jesus claims himself to be the light. Before I read this, I, I want to remind us that, that there's some, maybe some of you sitting here this morning, maybe some of you watching online this morning, there's some of us that still struggle with whether or not Jesus is God. There's many people that believe that Jesus was just a good teacher, that he was just a good man. But listen to the claims of Jesus Verse 12, John chapter 8, Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus came to show how dark darkness is. And by being the light himself, Jesus exposes darkness. The darkness flees in the presence of Jesus. And when Jesus came with his words, and his works, it demonstrated that he was the truth and the religious leaders were false. The darkness flees in the presence of light. And what a beautiful picture. When the woman was condemned by religion, Jesus, through relationship, made the darkness flee. Man, what a beautiful picture. In fact, Jesus says, because those religious leaders did not respond to him, he made the comment that they don't even know his father he says if you don't know me you don't even know my father and that tells us a lot to reject jesus is to reject god the father to make to negate god the son is to marginalize god the father man many people say i believe in god like we see this in our culture today i believe in god god the word god is kind of a popular thing it's it's not taboo to say that i believe in god Many people can say, I believe in God, but they reject Jesus. When you start talking about Jesus Christ, all of a sudden things get more tense. All of a sudden things change. 
Many people say, I believe in God, but they reject Jesus. And that, that can't happen because the Father and the Son are tied together. They're connected. They're welded to one another. They're one. So to reject Jesus Christ is to reject His Father. So Jesus makes it clear that their rejection is going to lead to their judgment. And they are, in fact, going to die in their sins. Verse 24 says, John chapter 8, verse 24, he says, That is why I said that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. And they're going to place themselves in this path of eternal judgment because they are rejecting the clear light. I mean, who, who sits in a room that's just blazing with light and says that it's darkness? Okay, it's someone that's either blind or they're just happy to live in darkness. And that's what they were doing because they had seen the works of Jesus. They had heard His words. They saw what He could do and they were still rejecting Him because the backdrop of Jesus Christ and who Jesus is is full light. They were rejecting the Son. When God reveals Himself to you, listen, that's why I want to encourage you to get into the Word of God because when He reveals Himself to you through His Word, when He reveals Himself to you through life experiences, when He reveals Himself through things and people that He brings in your path, when He clearly presents Himself to you as the truth, to reject that is to reject light. To reject that is to be happy to live in darkness. To reject that means that you're insisting on darkness and you're actually placing your, yourself in a position of judgment. It's your choice that's putting you in that position of judgment. He goes on and he tells them that they have no option. He says in verse 31, he, he shares some very powerful statements and uh, this leads up to this, this incredibly powerful statement that Jesus makes. Look at verse 36. He says, so if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. Jesus wanted them to know, and He wants you to know today, that you can be delivered from bondage. You can be set free from sin. The handcuffs, the chains of wickedness and sin and bondage can, you can be delivered from that. If the Son sets you free, you are truly free. Truly free. Coming to Jesus Christ, trusting Him as your Savior, and then following as your Lord. That becomes the key that unlocks the chains so that you can be released from the sins, so that you can be released from the bondage that you've been living in. To reject Jesus Christ is to say that you want to stay incarcerated. You want to, you'd rather stay in prison. It's saying that you want to trust in your own human strength, your own power, your own ability to set yourself free. But Jesus says, not only will I set you free, I'm going to set you truly free. I'm going to set you free for reals, okay? I'm going to set you free. That's, it's unmistakable freedom. It means a free kind of freedom. And let me just be honest, there's a lot of Christians, there's a lot of people, a lot of churchgoers, even in our day, that are not free. 
Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, and he made the statement, the scripture says that he was risen, and he was risen indeed. It means that he was really risen. And that's the same word that talks about this freedom. You can be free, and you can be really free. Jesus concludes this chapter with a stunning statement. Remember, Jesus is God. In the beginning, uh, God always was. And so he not only talked about Abraham, okay? He's using a, a, a man from the past that these Jewish leaders would have really connected with, that they, 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 they uh, looked up to Abraham, okay? And so Jesus uses an example that they would have really connected with, a man who lived hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, So he always was, so he not only talked about Abraham, but he knew Abraham. And the people responded to Jesus by saying, you're not even 50 years old, Jesus. How how can you say that you knew Abraham? Abraham lived hundreds of years ago. You're young. How can you say that you've seen Abraham? Look at verse 58. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Okay, I'm going to step back for a minute, kind of bring us back to this question of, is Jesus God? Okay, so either Jesus is God, or he is a liar, he's a lunatic, and you should run as far away from him as you possibly can. Those are the two options. Because right here, this is a statement. When Jesus said, before Abraham even existed, I am, this was the the strongest claim to deity in all of Scripture. You might say, what's the big deal with I am? Like, what, what are you talking about here? Let's go back to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Remember Moses was called of God to lead uh, the the nation of Israel out of slavery. Remember Moses was kind of uh, uh, very unsure of himself. Um, Some people think that, you know, he might have had a speech impediment. He wasn't very confident in the way that he talked. And so God led Moses to lead the people um, to freedom. And then uh, Moses was trying to argue with God. He's saying, I don't want to lead the people to freedom. I'm not capable. He was very, he was lacking confidence. He finally got to this place where he said, okay, God, if I go to Egypt and I try to set your people free, who should I tell them that sent me? If they say, who was, who's your leader? Who, who sent you to us? Who should I respond? Who should I say sent me? In verses 13 and 14, it says, but Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you. They will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And then God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. That is the name of God. I am. So you fast forward all the way to the Gospel of John and when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. 
he was saying that he is the eternally self-existent one. That's who Jesus claims to be. He claims to be the very God of the Old Testament who pre-existed Abraham and was the God who called Abraham, a, a, a man who the religious leaders identified with most. Man, Jesus claimed to be God. Here's one of the great claims in all of Scripture of deity by Jesus himself about himself. So once again, we're confronted with these two options. Jesus said, I am God. I am God. So either we follow him as God, or Jesus is a liar. He's not God. Why would we, why would we want to learn anything about him? It's one of those two options. It's one of those two options. Jesus Christ had no shame in claiming his preexistent eternal role as Yahweh of the Old Testament. So in chapter 8, you get to see Jesus at his best because he has compassion for the woman who was condemned. Maybe some of us this morning are feeling condemned. We feel beat down. We feel like we're under judgment. And I want you to know this morning, that is from the enemy. That is not from God. He is here this morning to set you free from condemnation. He's here to set you free from the accuser. That's the way Jesus works. In chapter 8, you see Jesus at his best because he confronted the religious leaders of the day who were not in it for, for people, who were not in it out of love. They were in it for profit. They were in it for uh, the wrong reasons. And then we see Jesus at his best in John chapter 8 because of his incredible claim to deity. Man, what, what a master that we serve. And this morning, I just want to conclude by saying, personally, as I talked to you this morning, I came to this place where I believed the words of Scripture, and I said, I personally am going to follow Jesus. I believe His claim. I believe that He is the Son of God. I believe He is who He says He is, and I'm going to give my life to Him. That was a decision that I made personally. And I want to encourage you. You're confronted with that same decision. And I want to encourage you to look to Jesus. Examine Jesus. Search Jesus. Is he who he says he is? And if you make that step and say, yes, I believe Jesus is who he says he is, then make the decision to follow him. Give your life to him. Give everything to him. What a master we serve. What a great God we have.